In the picture, you see Dr. James Simpson. In 1853, he helped Queen Victoria give birth. And he was the first to use chloroform, chloroform to help numb her pain. He also made great advancements in helping eliminate a lot of infections and even going so far as developing a lot of tools needed in the birthing process. Those are just a few of his accomplishments. At one point toward the end of his life, he was asked in an interview of all the discoveries that he had made. What was the greatest discovery that he ever found? He said that I am a sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. That was the most important thing that he had ever found. That was the most important discovery that he had ever made for his life. And a long, long time before Dr. Simpson made that discovery, there was a fisherman named John who made the exact same discovery. And, and he was so passionate about wanting other people to believe that he sat down and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the, the Gospel of John so that others, so that others could share in this same belief the same knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Toward the end of his book, he would write in John chapter 20, there beginning of verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Today, as we continue our study of this powerful gospel we're going to be introduced to some who made this discovery well some of the first ones to ever discover that jesus was the christ andrew john nathaniel philip just to name a few now for andrew and john they had been followers of john the baptist they had been listening to john the baptist preach now john the baptist he was different than John who wrote the Gospel of John, okay? So let's make sure we understand those are two different men. Even in today's world, John is a pretty common name, and it was a common name back then too, all right? So we, we have this very unique man known as John the Baptist. He was a powerful, powerful preacher. Matter of fact, he liked to preach out in the wilderness, <laughs> Seems like a strange place, isn't it? To go out in the desert and preach. But people came. They came because His message was just so powerful. And they came from all over to hear it. Maybe on days like today, we go, y'all, it's, it's raining today. <laughs> now we know we have a place to go sit that's dry and warm, but it's raining. Maybe we can't go to church today. <laughs> but there John was in the wilderness, there in the desert, preaching. I'm pretty sure they didn't have comfortable pews there. <laughs> but people came from all over. And there were many people who were so moved by his preaching that they were baptized. He would baptize them, and they became followers of his 
Man, I tell you, in the world of preaching, he would have been considered a very successful preacher. You know what the danger is, though, of being successful in anything you do in this life? The danger is you run a great temptation of beginning to believe your own hype. No matter what you may do for a living. And all of a sudden, when you begin to believe your own hype, then you start to think the whole world revolves around you and that everything is about you because you are so good at what you do now if anybody could have ever fallen into a trap like that it could have been john the baptist but he didn't he was such a humble man and it is so evident that he didn't succumb to that temptation or that trap because of the way he answered when some Jews came to simply ask him who he was. And that's what we're going to pick up today here in John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, this is the testimony of John. Again, this is John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now when they had been sent from the Pharisees, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Isn't that something? They're questioning him. He's real quick to answer the questions and say, listen, I'm not who you think I am. I'm certainly not the Christ. I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elijah. That's not who I am. And not only is he quick to say that's not who I am and not take credit for any of those positions, he says, y'all, there's, there's someone coming after me that is so much greater than me. I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. Let that simple statement sink in for a moment. That there is somebody else who you think of as, as so great. Man, you're not even worthy to untie their shoe. What was it? What was it about Jesus that made John the Baptist feel so insignificant compared to him? Well, let's go on to read verse 29. Cotton read this for us wonderfully just a few moments ago. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our culture doesn't even like the word sin. As a matter of fact, if you're like myself, you probably find yourself on a daily basis constantly disgusted, maybe even a little bit amazed 
at the great lengths that our world goes to to say that good is evil and evil is good. There are many in our world who would say this idea of sin, it's out of date. It's antiquated. There are many in our world who would say, you shouldn't talk about sin. Because when you talk about sin, it makes people feel bad. It brings up feelings of hurt. It brings up feelings uh, of, of just feeling sorrowful or guilty. And so you shouldn't talk about sin. Matter of fact, I ran across an article that was published just three years ago in the New York Times entitled, Raising Children Without the Concept of Sin. And the very idea of that article, the simple idea was this, your kids are better off being raised without even knowing the word sin exists. That's the world we live in. But see, here's the thing. Even if you decide to completely eliminate the word sin from your vocabulary, and you are never going to mention the word sin again, it doesn't make it magically go away. Sin is the greatest problem that faces mankind. And the reason it's such a great problem is because there is absolutely nothing that any of us can do on our own to overcome sin. Sin is a, a much greater problem than the national debt or who's elected next or global warming or, or whatever you may think is a problem on this earth. It is nothing in comparison to sin. Sin is the absolute greatest problem mankind has ever faced. Because it doesn't matter how smart you are. And it doesn't matter how rich you may be. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. And it certainly doesn't care how powerful or how popular you may be. None of those things matter. As important as you may think those things are, and as much stock as you may put in those worldly concepts, none of those things, none of those things will help you to overcome sin. Sin is rebellion against the will of God. Sin simply means you miss the mark. The mark is you're shooting for the will of God. And you miss it. And when you miss the will of God, when you miss carrying out His will, you sin. And that sin separates you from God. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do on your own to overcome sin. There is a gulf. There is a gap that is completely... You can't overcome it. And this, this gulf is what separates people no matter how rich or powerful or successful or intelligent Sinful people, which is what we all are. There's this great gap that separates sinful people from a very, very holy God. 
That's why Jesus had to come. That, that Lamb of God that John the Baptist spoke of, that's why He had to come. Because on the cross, on the cross, He shed His blood. A blood that the bulls and goats could never repay for our sins. His sin, His sin paid the price. Or excuse me, His blood paid the price for our sin when nothing else can. That's why it's so important that we have Jesus Christ in our life. And it's so important that we understand how important that He is. John the Baptist understood this. Again, he knew that there was something, something that separated Jesus from everybody else. There was something that made Jesus so great that he was absolutely unworthy to even untie his sandal. He understood he was the Lamb of God. You said, where did he come to this amazing understanding? Well, just a few weeks prior to this, he had baptized Jesus. And he felt totally unworthy to even baptize Jesus. But it was in that moment after the baptism of Jesus that he was witness to something. He saw something that confirmed in his mind that Jesus is the Son of God. And so as we continue reading here in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist continues speaking. He said, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. When John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, when the Holy Spirit remained upon him, there was no doubt in the mind of John the Baptist Jesus was exactly who he said he was. That he was, is, will always be. He's the Son of God. He is the Lamb. He is the Lamb that can take away the sins of this world. He he was so much greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist understood that. That's why he would say, I'm not even fit to untie a sandal. Several weeks ago in our, our men's Bible study on Sunday night, we actually spent a couple weeks talking about John the Baptist. It was a fascinating conversation. I enjoyed it so much. And since then, I've really been thinking a lot about John the Baptist. And one of the major conclusions that I have come to is just how different he and I are. <laughs> and not, not just because he was a powerful, effective preacher who preached in the wilderness and wore camel hair and ate locusts. You know, he obviously has some things with me that's definitely uncommon. But even his heart, such a humble man, to be preaching in such conditions as that but not for himself. Because he was absolutely preparing the way for Jesus. 
It wasn't about him. It was about he who was coming after him. That's humility. As powerful as I envision him and as strong as I envision him, I don't think he had ego. At least not like we may struggle with ego sometimes. You know what I've heard through the years, a time or two or, or more than I'd like to admit? Someone will approach me and they'll say, Blake, have you ever heard so-and-so preach? So yeah, yeah, I heard so-and-so preach. Usually the comment right after that is, goes something like this. Don't they do an amazing job? Couldn't you just listen to them every week? Now you may not think a thing about that. But let me put it in your terms. Mark's in real estate now. What would you think if I walked up to Mark and said, Mark, do you know so-and-so in real estate? They're awesome, aren't they? I mean, I bet they sell a house every single week. I don't know why anybody would ever use any realtor but them. But they're amazing, right? Have a great day, bud. <laughs> but I catch myself in those moments of ego, and I remember, Blake, it's not about you about Jesus because he is so much greater than you and all the focus and all of the praise it should always be on him and I think we should be a people who strive to do just that we should strive to move the focus more and more to Jesus I have no doubt that it was this humble heart of John the Baptist is part of the reason that Jesus would say in Matthew 11 and verse 11 Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Greatness, the focus of greatness should be on Jesus. On Christ and on Christ alone. Let's, let's think about our world for a minute. I'm talking about the world we live in from day to day. Maybe... Maybe someone approaches you and maybe they compliment you on your, on your marriage. Maybe they compliment you on the relationship you have with your children or with your grandchildren. What's the initial temptation? To take the praise, right? Maybe you do it with that false humility. Oh, well, uh, you know, keep telling me, keep telling me. <laughs> and, and maybe, you know, you're tempted to give them a quick, this course as to why your marriage is so good and why your relationship with your children and grandchildren is so good. Maybe what we should do in moments like that is take the focus off of ourselves and put it on Jesus. I really appreciate your kind words. They mean a lot to me. They're very encouraging. But I tell you what, I would never know how to love my spouse if I didn't understand the love Christ has for me. Can I tell you a little bit about him? Because he's really the reason that our family is as it is. Or maybe it's your job. 
Maybe somebody comes along and they're just so impressed with what a hard worker you are and how successful you've been, and they want to know, give us the, the five keys of your success. And so again, we say, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> this is what, what I've done to become so successful. Maybe we say, well, I'll tell you, all good things come from above. Were it not for God, I wouldn't have my job. And were it not for God, I wouldn't have the abilities I have to perform my job. Were it not for God, I, I wouldn't even have the strength within my body to perform my job as long as I've performed it. So if, if I've done anything well, it's thanks to Him. But would you like to know a little bit more about Him? I know it seems kind of awkward to think about because it's kind of contrary to the way we're used to doing things, but I think it's the right thing. Because it's taking the focus off of ourself and it's putting it on He who is truly great. And He who is truly great is Jesus. He's Lord. He's Savior. He is great. Not us. Not us. After spending some time with Jesus, it doesn't seem to take a lot of time. Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, they all start coming to very similar conclusions about who this is. Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, there in verse 41. Philip said to Nathaniel, we have found Him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, there in verse 45. And a little later, Nathaniel would say in verse 49, he would say this to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See, it didn't take very long to be in His presence to begin to figure out they were in the midst of, well, here's this word again, greatness. They were in the midst of greatness. They could recognize this is the Messiah. They could recognize this is the Lord. They could recognize He's the King. The King of kings. This is He who we've been looking for. That's what compelled them. It wasn't just like blind faith. That's what compelled them to leave everything and to follow Jesus. And I think for us, when we finally begin to understand how great Jesus really is, it really begins to make an impact on the totality of our life. Let's go back to verse 38 for a moment. Jesus turned and He saw them following. and He said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to Him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now this is Andrew and John. Andrew and John are kind of uh, following along. This is after John the Baptist has said, y'all need to go, just follow him. And they, they want to get a little bit closer. Jesus said, what are you seeking? In other words, what are you looking for? That may be a pretty good question for us to ask in spiritual conversations with people today. What are you looking for in this life? And if most people are, are honest, like, I mean, if you get past the superficial and you can really have a good heart-to-heart, -heart, most people will give you an answer along these lines. <sighs> Man, I tell you what. I just wish I were a little bit happier. 
my life, my life at times is so, just so chaotic. Even in my, even in my mind, man, my mind can be so chaotic at times. I just, I just wish for a little more peace. I, I, I just wish, man, I, I tell you, I, I really just wish I felt like somebody cared about me. I wish I felt like somebody loved me. Man, here's the really good news, right? We know where to point people in those moments. We know He who can meet all of those needs. We know that those those needs can't truly be met by anyone here on this earth. But those needs can be met by Jesus. How oftentimes there are people in our life, and they really need Jesus in their life. They don't even know it. It's oftentimes because no one has told them. He's who they're looking for. Now after Philip met Jesus, verse 45 and 46 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Wasn't much to Nazareth. Nothing to really write home about. And so, here Nathanael is, and Philip is coming to him and saying, Listen, we have found the Christ. We found the one that we've been looking for. <laughs> You're never going to believe who it is. It's, it's Jesus, the son of Joseph. You know, the guy from Nazareth. Ah, and Nathanael says, hmm, Say what? <laughs> the guy from Nazareth. Can any good thing actually come from Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Come and see. He didn't try to debate him. He didn't try to argue with him. He didn't try to prove his point. He just said, man, well, in Southern speak, what he said is, man, come go with me. <laughs> come on. Just come go with me. You've got you to meet this guy for yourself. And then when he did... And he spent a little bit of time with Jesus. That's when he said, Rabbi, you're the king. (laughs) There is no doubt. You are the king of Israel. And sure enough, the king of Israel had come from Nazareth. We should probably be a people who are quicker to say to our friends and our family, just come see Come worship with me. Come to Bible class with me. Come, come be a part of this visitation meeting we're having. Come, come and see. Because you see, when people get together, when, when the children of God are together, and when Jesus is being preached, and when Jesus is being taught, and when people are in our worship assembly or in our Bible classes, and, and they hear His Word, and they're around His people, oh man, it gives them an amazing opportunity to see Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He's the Christ. He is the Son of God. <laughs> I wouldn't be worthy to untie John the Baptist's sandal, let alone Jesus's. None of us, no matter our 
looks or our talent or our intelligence or our wealth, none of us can hold a candle to the greatness of Jesus. Such an important part of our faith to understand that so that we can begin to take the focus off of ourselves and put it on Jesus. Because you know, you know what happens, and I, I don't mean to chase a rabbit here, but I'll, I'll share it with you real quick. What, what happens if we're not careful? Sometimes we, we, we want to encourage people in their spiritual life, and if we're not careful, they actually begin to start to have faith in us. You ever experienced that? Where, where because someone is so appreciative of you and they love you so much and you've done so much to encourage them and maybe you've taught them and maybe you've, you've helped lead them to Christ, all of a sudden they, they start to put their faith in you instead of in the one who can save them. And what happens when that happens? Well, 99.9% of the time, somewhere along the way, they're going to be let down really, really bad because all of us, all of us are sinful. None of us are perfect. There's only one who's the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of this world. That's Jesus. That's not me and that's not you. We should be able to help point them in the direction of Jesus. But He's the Savior, not us. We're messengers. We're messengers of hope. We're messengers of light. We're messengers of Jesus. But we're not Jesus. His invitation is yours today. An invitation to obey the Gospel. To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Where the blood of the Lamb will cleanse you. Man, the water's ready today if you are. Maybe just as a child of God's, I don't know what's going on in your life. There could be any number of things going on in your life. But maybe there's something you'd like for your church family to be praying for you, with you about. Maybe it's your ego. Maybe you struggle with it at times the way I do. Maybe, maybe you just hadn't been pointing the light to other, to the, back to Jesus the way that you should. Maybe you want to be more mindful of that. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe there's something else that's just unspoken, that's just hindering you, it's discouraging you, it's keeping you from being who Christ wants you to be. If you'd like us to pray with you and for you, we'd be honored to. If you would just come while we stand and sing.